0: Welcome to Wild Secrets, brought to you by Wild Talk, Australia's only free counselling service for people working and volunteering with native wildlife. Wild Talk is a registered charity, so all donations are tax deductible. See our website for details. In these episodes, we share ups and downs of working with wildlife, acknowledging while extremely rewarding can bring heartache. There may be tears, laughter, swears, and just a smidgen of learning. I'm your host, Frances Carlton. Welcome to Wild Secrets. Today, my guest is Ali. Ali is a wildlife carer, lizard mum, and lizard entrepreneur. She's called the reptile chick. So, Ali, welcome.
1: Oh, welcome, Frances. Thank you for having me.
0: So we were were having a bit of a chat before we started recording and we we thought we would start with your three words to describe yourself.
1: Yes, you gave me homework last night, so I did think about this and wrote them down, so I had something to talk about. (laughs) Um, And when I first started thinking about it, I came across three words fairly quickly, so I will explain them, but um, first I'll just tell you them. First is busy, because what wildlife care isn't. Um, I am caring, oh, amazing, mm-hmm. um, but it has in a couple of different contexts, and then I'm also Unique. Now, I've picked that word specifically because I had a Toastmasters evaluator that would always tell me that I used unique in the wrong context. Apparently, unique is supposed to mean one of a kind and nothing else like it. And I always used the word unique in the way of it's special or interesting. And when I would talk about Australian wildlife, I would always talk about the unique species and this amazing type of unique animal. And he would always slam me and go, no, that's not the right way you're using that word. So anyway, that's why I've decided to use unique, Andrew, thank you, because (laughs) I'm dropping names here, (laughs) because it is um, a way that I would describe myself in both of those contexts. I do think everyone is one of a kind just because of the way their genetics have come down to make them the person they are. I think their experiences have brought about certain personality traits that you just would not get in any other context, in any other, you know, time in the world in a different country. It it all, you know, comes together to make me, me, and you, you. But I also do, in that respect, do think I'm fairly special and interesting. Um, not that I'm conceited or anything, I just, I like to be a little bit
0: different. I like the fact that you've, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to say it, Andrew can, you know, he's talking out of his arse because the, the wonderful thing about Toastmasters, because I know that we've, I, I've also been a Toastmaster, is that you can choose whether you um, digest the evaluation that you are given. That's true. And what I'm hearing is that you've kind of gone, yeah, nah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, I have tried to use it in a better context, but it still creeps out there. It's just the reason I came to Australia was to study the animal life. And they are very unique. Well, they are.
0: Like, <laughs> That's why no, I'm is here. There, is there any other country in the world that has marsupials? I don't think there is, There is. is there? So oh, is there? the North
1: and South America do have opossums?
0: Opossums. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. but are
1: they, are they a marsupial? Yeah. yeah. But they're ugly, comparatively. Our cute little possums here are so much better.
0: Well, they are, but you always see them with like five or six babies all yeah. back. Oh, so yeah, it's a back riding. Yep. Yeah, so yep. I suppose, yeah. I didn't realize they were a marsupial. Okay. Yeah, they're cool. like,
1: I think they're the only one actually.
0: They're, they're very rat faced, aren't they? Yeah. They're still kind of cute though.
1: So we had one at the zoo that I worked at. Actually, no, we had two. So the first one, um, we got another one while I was working there. She was so fat that her eyes were squished inwards and she actually had crossed eyes because she was so fat. Like, I mean, they eat anything they come across, but when you put them in a context where they can eat anything they want at any time of the day, they just put on weight like nothing else. So we'd bring her out and we had to use these big gloves because her claws are crazy and they might scratch you, but she would just be this big dopey, rat-looking thing with cross-eyes. And you could actually see the fat deposits on the inside of her eyes. It was disgusting. And we say, and this is a possum, and they're very interesting because they have, you know, lots of babies in a pouch. And And people would just look at it and go, what the heck is that thing? So, yes, I have worked with those marsupials, and they're a lot different to our Australian marsupials. They're <laughs> much cooler here. <laughs>
0: so we do we do have unique wildlife
1: we do it is very unique
0: yes (laughs) i like the word unique i do it's a good word
1: well and i like things to be a little different and i've been like that my whole life so that's probably why i got into reptiles so we can kind of come back to that if you Mm. want but they are a bit misunderstood they are people love things that are fuzzy and cute and I am not that type. I mean, I do like fuzzy, cute things, but I also enjoy the scaly things, and I love the slimy things, and you know, anything that is just a little bit odd, I find fascinating.
0: I actually find that's really interesting because when whenever I whenever I post something on the Facebook page mm-hmm. that's um, snakes, lizards, yep. um, spiders, any of those things. I might touch fifty likes if I post a koala or a kangaroo Mm -hmm. joey or a possum joey, or then I'm probably am going to go well over two hundred (laughs) likes.
1: So we we, we definitely it's
0: difficult. It it absolutely is, and there's that they're so they're so misunderstood. And the other thing is that the the gender diversity too is that Mm, the you you generally will see because I'm really I'm, I'm fascinated about this, but you'll generally see far more men liking and commenting on the the the, The scaly scales yes and then far 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 more women will be on there oh cute Mm -hmm. how how lovely how gorgeous um and it's it's interesting because reptiles and as a snake person myself and obviously you're a snake person as well but um yeah, they, they, they're very misunderstood.
1: See, I, I don't understand why that stereotype is there when we're so against stereotypes. We're like, <laughs> oh no, we can't, you know, not in the 2020s, you can't say that a woman will do this because she's a woman, but yet then they do it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> why?
1: So yeah, that that's a bit annoying to be honest, but I never liked pink, you know, I could, I still can't stand pink. My daughter loves pink, but I don't really like it. Mm. Um, I can do purple, but I'm more of a blue and green type of person. Mm. So even just random things like that, when I, you know, when I joined the band when I was young, it was like, oh, well, a lot of girls play flute or clarinet. I'm like, I want to play the drums.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you do play the drums. I do.
1: And I love it. And yeah. I could not stand to play a flute or something like that, or even guitar, like there's a lot of guitarists out there, um, but not so many drummers.
0: What about female bassists?
1: Mm, There's a few, some that I can think of. That could, that could have worked. I did try bass for a while and I can play it. Yeah. I can, yeah, but drums are just my thing. But
0: again, it's that, it's that, it's that sort of, (laughs) you generally see male bassists. Yes. Generally see. Except for Darcy
1: from Smashing Pumpkins, my favorite band. Okay. So that's, yeah. Defining. There you go. Yeah.
0: Oh no, I, yeah. I mean it's it, it's interesting but when we when we look at the when mm. we look at the, the the demographics and we look at the numbers you should be a kangaroo carer. I should be. Absolutely. Okay. But you were a kangaroo carer.
1: I did. Yeah. Yeah. I I've had 3 and I probably would have had more but um I found that 3 was great. It gave me a good insight into the um <sighs> The difficulties of raising kangaroos.
0: <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the difficulty of raising kangaroos. Oh my goodness.
1: It's so busy. You just – and that goes back to my first yeah. one. Busy, busy, busy. Like, I've had three kids and raising a kangaroo is a lot like a kid. And, you know, you're waking up at night and you're feeding it and you're – you know, you're not changing a nappy specifically but you're toileting it. And the only really good thing about the wildlife is that they grow up faster. So, it's for a shorter amount of time. Mm. But in all respects besides that, it is very much like kids again. And you even
0: hold them like a baby yeah, to feed absolutely, them. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and you have a little baby bottle and you have to warm it up to be the right temperature. And then if they don't want to eat one day, then you're scared that something's wrong and maybe it's got coxie. And so you make sure that, is my coxie up to date? How many days has it been? And, oh, maybe it's just eating something weird because I gave it grass yesterday and it's just starting to do that. So anyway, it's it's the same emotional input that you would put into a child and that is a lot of emotional input Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I I do love it, I have to say, but I also find that for the time and effort for one individual, it ends up being, um, I wouldn't say not worth it. It is definitely worth it, but I feel like in that same time that I could have spent on like 20 Lizards, or turtles, or you know some other type of reptile, or even birds. Like you can do birds in such an easier context, and everything is quicker with birds. But you could get through twenty or thirty baby birds in the same time it would take to do one kangaroo joey. Mm. So it's like, oh, okay. So purely based on numbers, you know, would I make a better mm. um, impact by mm. doing
0: that? And why did you stop doing the? Why did you stop doing the kangaroos?
1: Oh, To be perfectly honest, because of the time that it was taking me away from my family, it was starting to cause um, emotional relationship issues in the family and because I wasn't able to be there when I needed to be. And a lot of that extra time that I would have been spending like with my husband or with my kids would be spent, oh, I need to go take the kangaroos out to have a a hop around or I need to now feed them or I need to toilet them. And I'm now tired because I had to wake up through the night to feed them. And I did it for two Because over the winters is when a lot of the joeys come in. So I had my first one the first winter, and then the next year I had two more.
0: And how old was your youngest at this point?
1: Oh, two. (laughs) So she had just finished sleeping through the night. I just stopped having to get up to feed her at night and then I got a kangaroo and then I had to get up to feed him at night. So, in some respects, that was not a good choice. <laughs>
0: mm. And was this around about the same time that you were also suffering from postnatal depression as yes, well? Yes.
1: Well, that I couldn't have taken this on while I still had that. Mm. So, from the time my, my son was born, who's my firstborn, um, until, really until my third was born I suffered from it and oh my goodness I could not have done kangaroos while I was with that but I was just starting to come out of that zombie stage and because they're all two years apart and there's three of them so my son was already four at that stage by the time he was six is when I started to really feel I was coming out of that zombie stage Mm -hmm. and that's when I started taking on wildlife so maybe not the brightest idea (laughs) (laughs) And <laughs> it just put me right back into that. Um, but I think lack, lack of sleep really has a lot to do with it mm. because I've made a huge effort to make sure I get the right amount of sleep now. Mm. And that has really made a huge difference to my mental health. Mm. So I feel like I can take on almost anything if I can get a lot of sleep.
0: <laughs> and what's your average, do you reckon, at night time? Oh,
1: good eight, Nine. Nice. Absolutely. It's so good.
0: Yeah. And your kids are a lot older now as well. They're <laughs> all at goodness. school. And-, and I've
1: trained them to sleep in past seven. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> my son was one of those early wakers, like, you know, 5, 5.30, and I was dead. I mean, yeah. I, would, I would wake up with him, do the, you know – Hour with him first awake and then go back to bed, and I would go back to bed, and then we'd wake up, and then he would go back to bed, and then I would go back to bed, and then by about 11, I'd start feeling like I could actually tackle the world. But oh, that sucked. I hated that time of life. I mean, mm. I love my kids, but that little baby stage is hard. Mm. And it's not something I feel like repeating anytime soon.
0: So having done the kangaroos, which is very baby stage.
1: It is That's maybe one of the reasons why I haven't gone back to that. Who knows? Maybe in the future it might be in the cards, but not right now.
0: Yeah. And what what other animals have you had apart from the lizards and the turtles, which we'll, which we'll come to?
1: Well, I've been trained in pretty much everything, so I've been happy about that because it gives me a good insight into everything. And just even though I'm not an expert in anything, I love dabbling in all of it. Um, I've had a number of possible and I really like them. They're mm. really easy and they're night birds, a bit like me. Mm. So I like being awake, you know, at night as long as I can get my sleep in mm. at some point. And the possums do the same. So they're coming out as soon as that sun goes down. They're active, they're eating. You can cuddle them, you can do that thing, you feed them, and then you pop them back in their enclosure. And they usually, as they're babies at that stage too, they go back to sleep. Mm. And they might come out and do some more things, but I don't have to do anything more mm. at three o'clock in the morning. I'm mm. in bed. Mm. <laughs> and birds. Birds sleep all through the night, so there's no problems there. Yeah. But the thing that worries me about birds is that they need special attention pretty much every hour or two. So I've done a lot of babies and it's it's like every hour you're shoving food down into them. Mm. And, you know, they see you walk by and they open their mouth and go, Ah, where's more? Where's more? And you're like, you okay, have ma- you some have more. Ma- you've
0: had magpies. Oh, I love the
1: magpie. So yeah the first year cuz that the um coordinator was like oh that magpies are the, the best ones people really like them and i was like mm, okay i like magpies they're cool and then I got them and I was like, oh, oh my goodness, I really do like magpies. They're so <laughs> cute. <laughs> and they walk around like so after we, you know, did our first kind of step of release, they would just follow us around. Like they were out in the Avery for only a month or two. And then we opened the door and then they would just follow us everywhere we went. They'd perch in the tree and sleep at night. And the second we walk up, they're standing at the door going, Oh, where's my food for the morning? I would walk down to the bus stop to drop the kids off. And they're following me, walking behind me, squawking at me. It was really cool. And then I'd walk up to get the bus and guess what? They'd follow me and greet the kids when they came back. It was just such a nice personal... Um, greeting every day Mm. so they're very nice and they're very smart
0: birds Mm. are they still hanging around those those magpies no so
1: because we have a resident pair they end up chasing them away and that's okay because they're really good they leave them here for Mm. the time being when they need to grow up but about the time they chase their own young off they chase ours off too which is fine that's that's normal timing and that's Mm. what works but the first year i was a little bit concerned because every time the resident magpies would come up they would like put down their wings and like flutter them and kind of do their, their baby rah, submissive thing. And the big mom and daddy walked around and like, oh yeah, we own this place. And then they would go and steal the food that I just put out for my babies. And I kind of went, okay, is this a good or a bad thing? But once I figured out that it was good, cause they were leaving the babies there cause they would get extra food. They, they are smart and they know. Mm. So they left them and mm. I haven't had any problems.
0: Cool. Yeah, how exciting! Yeah. And 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 your children are very um, animal orientated yes. as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, they love helping out, and that's that's. Even though I do it for myself, I do a lot of it for the kids too because Mm. I think it's really important. Like I don't care if they grow up and never do anything with animals. The fact that they're getting this now I think is really important Mm. and it helps teach them empathy. It helps teach them the importance of nature and the wildlife around them and the importance of having that connection to nature when you probably wouldn't get that so much in a city. Mm. And I feel like we have a really special – Bond with nature, and if you don't have that, it makes you suffer. Mm. I feel.
0: Has the has the has your experience of teaching your own children, mm. who of course are now a lot older, is that is that the reason why you started the reptile chick?
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, I've been in education for a number of years anyway, but coming to basically a, a head a few years ago, thinking. My current job, which I've been educating children for years and years and years, but I don't feel like I can go anywhere with it. Mm. And I thought if you hit that glass ceiling, you either have to figure out how to break through it or you need to go around it. Mm. And I've found a way around it. That means that I can then expand and actually do what I want to do. And I'm still doing a very similar thing. I'm educating children. I'm bringing animals to them. Mm. Instead of them coming to me and Mm. to the animals at the zoo, I'm now going to them with animals. And it's so much more personal when you're in their space. Mm. So I'm going into childcare centers or into classrooms, into preschools, you know, primary schools. And they just light up. So one of my favorite ones that I did, and um, it was really special because it was a special needs group. And it's one of the local primary schools here. And they had heard heard about me through another local primary school, which was just a normal group. But Mm. they had a special needs group that they thought, this could work. Maybe Mm. we'll have you come in. It was only about... 12 kids there yeah no they some had learning disabilities some had just some special behavioral issues but the second those animals came out oh my goodness they all they all changed Mm. a lot of them went very much into focused when they weren't focused before Mm. There was a lot of, lot of chattering (laughs) because they were very excited because they hadn't had this thing come into them before. And it was a good break from what they normally did during Mm -hmm. the days. I mean, they had great carers, they had wonderful teachers, but having something that they could connect to and touch, I found was the best. And the best example I can think of is this beautiful little girl that was probably maybe not even seven, seven or eight. And the whole time, because I started with my reptiles, which I love, the whole time she's sitting there completely introverted, not touching anything, wouldn't barely even look at things. And then I thought, all right, I'm going to win her over. Mm. So I offered every time, oh, here's the turtle. You want to touch it? No. You know, here's the lizard. You want to touch it? Here's the bunny rabbit. Oh, she lit up. <laughs> and she, her face just gets huge. And she goes, oh, yes. And she put her arms out. And it was the first, like, you know, extroverted thing she'd done the whole 45 minutes I'd been there Mm. and I said "Ah, you like fuzzy things don't you and she just nodded and so I Mm. gave her the bunny to hold and she just sat there with it in her lap for about five minutes and she patted she talked to it she was like doing a little singing like "Ah, ah." oh that's that's one of those things that maybe go yeah this is why I'm doing what I'm doing
0: yeah (laughs) and what sort of um what sort of reptiles are you taking to, you know, let these children have an (laughs) educated reptile? The nice ones.
1: The nice ones. (laughs) (laughs) Ones that won't bite you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, um, mostly native reptiles because one of my key messages is talking about your natural world around you. Mm. And while, yes, there's a lot of cool animals from all over the world, I came to Australia to study these ones. And they're really cool and unique Mm. because I want to show them... That what lives in their backyard is just as special as a really weird lizard from across the world. Mm. So even though people are fairly familiar with blue tongues, they're a huge hit. Everyone mm. loves the blue tongues. I, yeah. I get out a, just a How typical could... bluey and they're like,
0: oh, this is great. Well, they are, they're a mate. They blue are. Blue tongues, they're, they're so much puff and bluster. I know. Um, <laughs> with those magnificent yeah. blue, great big blue tongues yeah. that they stick them out. If you're lucky enough to see one, I remember the first time I ever saw a blue tongues yeah. tongue. And I was like,
2: What's I, th- and I, was, that?
0: I, I was fully grown up. <laughs> but I still kind of, I think, reacted probably similar to yep. some of your yep. to your juniors. I'm sure they. Were. I was, ah, I was, was a bit. I was a bit squealy. I'll be honest. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yep, definitely. So yeah. there was definitely a few favourites. And what I actually find is when I take certain animals in, um, I get reactions that I didn't expect to start with. Now. This has worked to my advantage because now that I expect those, even though they weren't the original expectations, I can work it to my advantage. So the Mm. snakes, which is the one thing most people in general go, ooh, ooh, I don't know about that. I can guarantee you that's 90% of the adults. Yeah. Kids are actually really good and Mm. really open about it. So I bring out one of my biggest snakes, Neil. He's over two kilos. And Neil is a… Diamond. (laughs) Python. (laughs) Neil Diamond. (laughs) (laughs) And he's beautiful and he has great personality, wonderful snake, beautiful, beautiful. I mean, diamond pythons are. But I bring him out and the kids go, oh, oh, wow. And every kid will touch him. Maybe Mm. one or two will go, "Mm, no, almost every kid will touch him. You walk up to the adults, they all go, no, it's okay. And they just kind of pull back and you go, hmm. So, what are you teaching these kids mm. by not wanting to touch it? Mm. So, they really, they pull off that. But all, you, all it takes is two or three little kids in front that going, yeah, yeah, I'll touch it. And the whole class mm. will do that. But what's interesting that is… That
0: modelling I'll, is amazing, oh, isn't it? it really is. Yeah.
1: But I'll pull out a stick insect, who's the most harmless, you know, vegetarian, useless thing. And everyone goes, oh, I don't want to touch it. Like, seriously, I'll have about 70% of the kids won't touch the stick insects.
0: Is that because it's ugly? I don't know.
1: I really don't know. And so I'm now more interested in stick, stick insects because of that. <laughs> isn't
0: that amazing, Amazing, isn't it? How mm-hmm. th- how different animals have yeah. have this connotation. I, I was telling somebody the other day about when I... First, did my snake handling course. So I grew up in the UK, no snakes, no 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 sort of conditioning happening around snakes at all. Lots of conditioning around spiders, but no conditioning around um, snakes. But when I came to it, the, the, you know, the first snake that got dropped at my feet and the, on that snake handling course was a red belly black. And I just kind of went, oh, okay, cool. And I just kind of did my thing and you know got it in the bag and did that a few times and it was fine. And then I did it with a tiger snake and it was kind of like, eh, yeah, okay, this, you know, this is number seven on the list of yeah. you know deadliest world snakes and it's fine. I'll just get it in the bag. And then they dropped a brown snake at my mm-hmm. feet and my whole body just went, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Sounds about <laughs> <And, well> right. <laughs> and I completely froze up. Yeah. And... But this was in the afternoon, so all morning I'd been Mm -hmm. handling snakes just as, just as potentially Mm -hmm. harmful to me with kind of like, mm, whatever. And it wasn't until I reflected afterwards that the only thing... Sorry, the
1: the birds tell you what time (laughs) it is.
0: The only thing that I could possibly have is all the conditioning of everyone going, brown snakes are horrible, brown snakes are evil, brown snakes will chase you, brown Mm -hmm. snakes will kill you. So all... And that was as an adult, not even as a child. And it was only probably in the first five years that I'd been in Australia where I had all these horrible things from other adults that brown snakes were bad. Anyway, I managed to, you know, bag the brown snake a few times. <laughs> the sweat, the adrenaline, I was definitely, you know, on a bit of a natural high because oh, of yes. that. But. It was really interesting and it wasn't until I reflected afterwards. So this conditioning that we have Mm. from adults as children, as this is a bad thing, Mm -hmm. is really important. Absolutely. Um, And I'm I'm actually working with a client at the moment who has a phobia about spiders and I'm actually working through her spider phobia with her and I think we've got to the point now where she can actually be in the same room as an actual
1: spider. Oh, Working your way up, that's yeah. good.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, yes. she couldn't even look at pictures of them at the yeah. beginning. So it's, you know, really, really working through those. So the work that you're doing with those kids and getting them to touch things, so the next time you go back <laughs> to those groups, it's getting them to touch the stick insects. Yeah,
1: that's what I that's did awesome. yesterday. I was like, all right, guys, because I was at a show yesterday that I'd done previous. And I said, now, a lot of you didn't want to touch this animal last time. Is this going to change any? Though I did preference that with a cockroach, a woody. And I held it out there and let everyone see it
0: first. Just like a normal just 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 a normal woody. Yep.
1: So they're not the big scary ones you have in your house. So the ones out in the woods that you know anyway. Yeah.
0: So I have the lizards love. That the
1: lizards love to eat, yes, and (laughs) they go running around and I've had a fear of them for a while, but I've managed to get over it. So that's good. But I have a a fake one that I picked up somewhere. Actually, I have two of them. And I'd washed them previous to that and had them in the same container. And I commented that how some insects are usually eaten by other animals. So did they remember the bearded dragon I brought last time? Well, it likes to eat these animals. Would would anyone like to eat a cockroach? And everyone's like, ew, that's gross. And I picked up the plastic one and shoved it in my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and all of the adults go, Ooh! and all the kids went, what just happened? And I chewed it for a few minutes and then went, a bit rubbery, and then I pulled it back out and chucked it back in. And everyone went, oh, that wasn't weird, was it? <laughs> no, I wouldn't eat a cockroach, that's disgusting. But my
0: lizards like to.
1: My lizards love to, And that's, but I, I was doing it in the context of insects, even though they're the most numerous animals on earth, are a lot of times only thought of as food for other animals. Right. Have you ever thought about that? No. What when you think of a mosquito? What good? What good is it for?
0: Well, it, it's not. But it, but but, <laughs> but but I do know it's only good for food for something else. But I, yeah. But I do. Know, but the, but that's the question, isn't it? It's like wasps. What's the point of wasps? Yeah. I... You know what's the point of mosquitoes? But flying foxes eat something in the region of five to ten thousand mosquitoes every night. Oh no, that's the microbats. The microbats, yep. okay. Yep. Yeah, the microbats. The mm-hmm. microbats. Yeah, I know. So that's a lot. Of, that's just a lot,
1: food for something else? That's a lot of mozzies. It is. And think of how many insectivorous birds there are. If there were no insects, we wouldn't have insectivorous birds. Mm. So, and Which is pretty a, much most birds, it's right? It's most birds. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much every bird will eat insects. Yeah. And then if you didn't have insects... Everything would just be piled up with waste everywhere because they're nature's recyclers. They eat everything down, so they have a lot of meaning and context, but not directly to us. Mm. Not until we. Is
0: just annoying and exactly
1: until we actually start using them as a protein, which is possibly in the future. So that's another conversation to be had. Yeah. Ever eaten a mealworm? (sighs) Like they're they're crunchy. They're gross. I know, but I did eat one. Yeah. And um, I don't know if I would be campaigning for them anytime in the future.
0: <laughs> but considering how prolific they are and considering how they are actually quite useful and they don't damage the environment, mm-hmm. I can see why as a protein source. Exactly.
2: Better and, than and a I mean,
0: cow. And, and crickets and things like that. Yeah. Um, I can see why that they would be, you know, but I'm sure there'd still be somebody that goes, you know, Cricket Lives Matters or something.
1: Well, I'm sure that, well, no, there is. Because when I went to go buy crickets at Pet Barn up at Madura Park, um, the guy commented how there's this like a monk type of guy that would come in and he would buy the whole stock of crickets sometimes. And he would go, and he, the guy watched him once. He just went out and he would just release them off into the park. And the guy laughed because he goes, I know that he's doing this with some amazing morals here i want all lives matter you know including the crickets but these things are bred in queensland yeah Canberra winters are very cold and he's like (laughs) they're just gonna freeze to death overnight what is this guy thinking yeah he's just doomed them all though he doesn't know that yeah but when he told me this story i laughed i went "Mm, okay yeah there there are there are people that do that yeah
0: yeah, there absolutely are. <laughs> and you know there's a there, there, there is absolutely a place in the world for people who have have those mm-hmm. ideals. Absolutely. Um but yeah, we we do also need to be realistic that, you know, if they've been bred in Queensland and they releasing them in a Canberra winter is not going to be <laughs> not going to be a good end.
1: No. That won't go over well with those poor crickets. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. Okay. So there's some there's some wonderful wonderful things that you're doing with the with children's education. Mm. We've recently had a road open up between actually between us, mm. which has made our journey to so, three minutes. So Ali and I faster. do know each other for quite a while. It's, <laughs> it's now a three minute faster drive, um, and it's it's opened up and it's but it's gone smack bam through the territory of
1: of our wonderful Rosenberg's monitor. Now, this is something that the local wildlife group put together a very long um, petition against because of the local native wildlife that it encrouches on and the habitat that it's destroying for not just the Rosenbergs, but for a number of other bird species and um, just a lot of wildlife in general. Mm. And the council took the submission and said, thank you very much and went ahead with what they were doing. Yes. (laughs) That was it. Yes. And and
0: I believe that that wildlife group also offered um, to be present Mm -hmm. during the – the clearing process so that they were able to identify and stop and move any animals that were found that might have been in hibernation or bromation um, and you know echidnas and all that sort of stuff and that offer was never taken up.
1: No of course not. No. So there was obviously animals that were dispersed during that time um, that we know probably would have made numbers go up a bit higher but in the end we have no idea. Mm. what the actual impact was of the actual road during construction but what's going to happen is that over the next few years what are going to be the road fatalities what are going to be what's going to be the possibility that the fragmentation that we've now caused from one side to the other what's that going to do and now that there's this lovely open bush on one side When's the next subdivision going to happen? When's that going to be put aside as, oh, the newest, you know, the new Gugon, that's going to be, you know, oh, it's even closer in, so Mm. it's going to be more expensive. Mm. And subdevelopment happens. I mean, Mm. I've lived here for 12 years in this region. I've seen a lot of change happen from when we moved here, there was no Gugon. Mm. We would go out to the dam and it would just be lovely and enjoy it and hike, and then right after that, they started building the subdivision out there. And then they said, oh, we're going to have to realign the roads. So they realigned Old Kuma Road. And then now we have to double it because the subdivision is getting too big. Mm. And, oh, now we're going to make a new one on the other side or closer to Hume. And so mm. then that's going to have to cut through this other place. And mm. then they made the bypass around behind Jera that actually went around to Bean. And then now this new one that goes from that intersection all the way to the other side like there's been a lot of change in 12 years, you can't say that this road is not going to have any impact on that mm. because it's going to open up all of that and that's going to be houses in 10 years.
0: Well, I am I mean, I'm seeing – I mean, I've, I've only lived where I've lived for four years and in the last, you know, 18 months – there's now another shopping centre where mm-hmm. there used to be a, a huge population of kangaroos, oh, I love those and ones. they've just started building um, a school and a swimming pool and a few other things on mm-hmm. the other side of that road, yep. which is taking out another huge, great big population of of, of animals. Yep. Um, and one thing that I I remember when they first started building the, the shopping centre, which I still haven't been into. It's been open since before December, but I've, I'm, I'm I'm not using it out of protest. Um, <laughs> Good job. You know, I'm talking I'm talking with my feet. Not that they notice my <laughs> my inaction, but anyway. Um, what i've noticed when they first started that building and they fenced it all off was the amount the the increase in roadkill mm, of course on that very very short stretch which is only about a kilometer or oh, half a kilometer probably yeah. um huge amount of because animals were getting stuck they were finding their way onto the grass on the verge yep. and then getting stuck on the wrong side of the of the fences yep. and then being on the roadside and not being able to get away
1: and this was also during drought time it keep was, in mind which means when the paddocks are bare, they come to where they can find green grass, which ends up most of the time being on the road verges.
0: Because there's usually a ditch, exactly. which is where the water...
1: So they'll come closer to the road anyway any naturally. Like over the last two years, we've had a lot more kangaroos in our paddocks instead of out way out where they usually aren't seen. Mm. They've been right around the house because it's the only place that there was green grass mm. or along the road. So that was why mm. we had record numbers of joeys over the last two years. Mm. So you take that into context. They have no place to live because the normal rate grazing paddocks are now leveled and are a shopping center. So instead, they're going to be still trying to go in their habit, going from one place to the next to look for good food, and it's not there anymore. So then Mm. they're going across the roads, searching for more and getting hit more often. Mm. And unfortunately, that is that human and animal conflict that is so prevalent in this region Mm. And it causes so much pain, not mm-hmm. not so much to the humans. So I do have to say, apparently, we are the um, kangaroo-hitting capital, not just the capital of Australia, the kangaroo-hitting capital yeah. and insurance apparently it's is insurance cap,
0: yeah, per, per, a lot worse. Per capita, mm-hmm. we have the highest rate of yep. of animal animal collisions. Um, yeah, that's the way to say Animal it. collisions, <laughs> uh, according to NRMA Insurance. Yes. Um, and, you know... People off because I drive a little car. Yeah. Um, I know that you're in because you're you, but you're living at bush, so you've got a bigger car. But I've only got a little a little car, and I drive through at least um, half a dozen kangaroo hotspots. Mm-hmm. And I've lived here for six years now, and people will say to me, "How how, how have you not?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "I have a secret." And they go, "Oh, what? Well, you just don't drive?" I said, "No, I do, but I slow down. Oh, heaven forbid!" And I turn <laughs> my headlights off beam. Yeah. and and that means I can see the animals easier, I'm going slower so I've got more time to stop and it means that, yeah, there's been many times, there's been so many times when I could have easily have hit a kangaroo if I'd been going the speed Mm -hmm. limit and it's late at night so just slow down, Yeah.
1: Though, then you get the people that drive right on your tail with their high beams on, yeah, and they're just like, "Go on, go faster!" And I intentionally slow down. Oh yeah, yeah just no. a bit more, yep. just just so either they make the decision to pass me, yep. or they, I don't know, get really mad. I think it's fun.
0: <laughs> it, that's not my problem. <laughs>
1: exactly. I'm going the speed that I want to go. Yeah. And at night, yeah. when I'm coming back and I know the kangaroos are going to be active, yeah. it's going to be about sixty.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when I left when I when I left here the other night, mm-hmm. I um I think I I think I was going about yeah, I would have been going somewhere between fifty and sixty. Yep,
1: that's about right.
0: Yeah, yeah. and even on the even on the lovely new road because I yeah. am aware because it's a new road and then I because it was dark I couldn't tell but I, there's lots of wildlife fences there's yeah. wildlife fences all the way along I it. I think which is, that one
1: will be okay.
0: I think it will be okay, but I'm still going to be I'm be still going to be, still I'm gonna gonna be watch, careful. I'm
1: going to watch. I'm going to watch for you know signs of things that have been hit because if it is go- good and they so don't have any. So there are crossings any, on. The, yeah.
0: they have put wildlife crossings in yeah, on that road, and that's
1: what I'm hoping because the. They have seen good um, progress with, you know, the wildlife fencing that then tunnels them into a certain crossing. So there's at, apparently at least two or three under crossings, which are big ones that have, you know, lots of trees and bushes so that everything feels confident that it can go underneath to the other side. But then it also has crossings that go across from possums. Mm. So the... The hope is that there will be use of those. And I know there's plenty of possums in the area. There is koalas that are just up um, into the next nature reserve from where that's been built. I mean, probably no more than about two or three kilometers as you know, the, as the koala would walk. So I'm assuming it would be very easy for a koala to easily come down and get stuck in an area like that. Mm. So the hope is that those crossings would be used um, and that we'll see the local wildlife not be on the road. Mm. I don't know if it'll happen, but mm. we'll see, because it's only opened, what, a, a week now? Yeah. But I really hope it works. Yeah. And if so, then they can use this type of wildlife fencing and crossings and other things in other places. Mm. It's, if they make new roads like this all the time, then that would be fantastic. As long as it actually works,
0: I think we just need to make sure that that, and obviously we don't have any control over it. But I think mm-hmm. we need to make sure that when new roads are being planned and mm-hmm. being lobbied for, yes. that those that those crossings are absolutely put in. Yes, um, I know that they've they've put a huge amount of effort into doing the crossings on the. Um, Princes no not Princes Pacific Highway up to up to Brisbane. Yes. So on all those on all those roads, they've they've got the crossings, they've mm. got the underpasses, they've even got those amazing glider bridges. Yeah, they're just cool. Fully fully bushed so yeah it's I mean it's 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 a wonderful thing and I just hope that because the Rosenbergs are very special aren't they
1: absolutely well they're threatened species in this region they only are in this region and then down on Kangaroo Island so if we can't save them here we only have one hope but guess what Kangaroo Island burnt at least more than half of their native um Bushy areas over mm. the bushfires. They
0: know. lost a third of the a third of the bush, third of the bush, third of the island. Basically, yeah. in the fires, it's completely in, gone. So, talking about the fires, um, that, yeah. that seg- segues us beautifully into our mm. next. Um, your your kangaroos that you had way back when. Yes, that my you, cute little th- key. Th- th- that you released. You released <laughs> them. Um, you released them on a property.
1: Yeah, I couldn't release them here because we are too close to a main road. So. And I do know carers that have released onto the properties and I think that has benefits that you can see and see the progress going through the the days and the years if they end up coming back. But we ended up going to a place that was out kind of towards Braidwood and to a property out there that he's released wombats and kangaroos throughout the years. And um, my little guy and his buddy, so Keith and Brad were the two kangaroos. Don't ask, and they. And no, I'm
0: sorry. I've got to. I've got to ask. I'm what? always fascinated about how animals get their. Okay. Get, Keith. Get their names.
1: Keith came from a book that my kids had called "The Kangaroo That Couldn't Hop," and in the name, in the naming of the book, well, in the naming of the kangaroos, I guess um, we were reading that book around that time, and it's the story is these three young kangaroos that get yeah. their official name by the. Um, well, the, the mama kangaroo chooses it, but then the the old timer kangaroo is the one that, you know, confirms it basically. So she introduces her three little joeys to him and says, so this is Hoppy and this is Bounce. And then the, the third one, she kind of, this is Keith. And the guy goes, what? Did, what did you just say? She goes, um, th- this is Keith. And she's like, why did you name it Keith? And she, oh, well, we just thought that was the most appropriate. And he was like, that's not a name for a kangaroo. <laughs> and then he, go, and he starts, you know, offering some other ones like, you know, Hoppy would be great and, um, you know, all these other yeah. bouncy type names. Yeah. And the mama kind of goes, well, um, he, he can't. He goes, well, why not? He, he can't hop. That's why. That's why we can't name him anything like that. He's, <laughs> he's just a Keith. So we were laughing at this book and the first time we got my little Joey out of his pouch and he's like all legs, yeah, nothing else. yeah. And he'd never, I mean, he'd, he'd only been out of his mum's pouch for probably about 36 hours at most by the time he came to me. Right. And so, and he was just at the point where he would have been starting to come out in, from mum's pouch. So one of the first things was pop him out on the ground and have a look at him. And he couldn't hop. he 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 was all legs and they all flail everywhere. and he tried we tried standing him up, and he would just kind of fall over. And then I got him to stand, and then he would walk, just like Keith in the book. he couldn't <laughs> jump. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness, he's like he's like the kangaroo in the book. <laughs> so he instantly got the name Keith. Awesome. Because he he couldn't hop. He learned, obviously learned how to hop later, but yeah. that was where he got the name. Brad, I don't know where he came from. He was somebody else's kangaroo, uh-huh. and so they got buddied up together um, during pre-release yeah. and then went off to this place for release once they were old enough. Mm. So that's, that's where Keith and Brad were. And unfortunately, um, so that was about four years ago, but six months ago during the bushfires, um, this place where we've – released um, was one of the places to get burnt down so we were quite devastated to think of all of these released animals me and a few other people that have released there and thought what's happened to them and we've been in contact with the owner and he said yes we've seen some of the roos and because half the property burnt through um, in the first kind of wave of the fire and then that went out and then about three days later a second wave came through from a different direction and so it burnt through a different section of it mm. but he really feels like most of the residents would have had a chance to probably get from one place to the other as or long to as move. they yeah mm. as long as they were hopping in the right direction and hopefully in between those waves the ground would have cooled down so that the places that did burn they could have then gone back onto to take shelter when the new wave of mm. flames came so our hope is that Keith and Brad and numerous other Roos that have been released and Wombats and everything else have hopefully made it, but we don't know. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, Keith would be six years old by now.
0: Mm. So he'd be sort of in that stage He'd he'd be a
1: big, handsome boy. Yeah. (laughs) With those big muscles.
0: Yeah, and no neck. (laughs) I love those Roos.
1: He'll be fighting with Brad at this point over the the harem of young females. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm hoping that he's still there. But when we went to release, it was it was very sad, but it was a very great day. And I took the kids out. It was it's like probably an hour and a half drive from here. Mm. And we went out there and we we, we were hugging him. And you could tell like his ears were twitching. He's looking around going, "Ooh, this is new. What's going on? But we got to hug him and say hello and and give him some pats. We gave him some lovely pellets that he really enjoyed, mm. and then took lots of photos and then basically said our goodbyes. So when we we closed the enclosure gate and um, he said that he would leave them there for about you know a week or so just to get used to the enclosure, and he'd start opening it so they could come in and out. Mm. So it was like a soft release. Yeah. And I got word, it was probably about two months later, that they had successfully integrated into the local mob. They were still Mm. coming back to get occasional supplemental feeds, but pretty much had just integrated straight in, had gotten some lovely ladies and, and had done the thing. So I was just absolutely stoked. And that's one mm. of the best parts about the wildlife is the release and knowing that what you've done has actually made a difference. Mm. So I really think that is one of the best parts. Mm. And releasing Keith was really lovely and I really enjoyed that. Mm. But absolutely devastated when I thought of the fact that he might not have made it. So, and I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever know. So that is part of it. So
0: release somewhat bittersweet. It can be.
1: Absolutely. Mm. And because I release a lot of animals, I do a lot of the reptiles. And so some lizards, they may only be in for, you know, a week, just long enough to get antibiotics because they had a cat bite and nothing else is wrong. And we go, okay, well, he's fine. He didn't die. So let's release. Mm. And they, you know, hiss at you and scurry off into the bush and don't even look back or if they do they give you know a horrible look how dare you do that yeah exactly (laughs) and you go that was nice you know it was fine I don't take any offense at it absolutely not the turtles are the best because they all are different one you'll put in and it will just shoot off as quick as it can right into the water and be gone some will sit there for like 20 minutes like a rock and you're like filming it going move Move. <laughs> Move. I'm trying to make this a great video.
0: Move. <laughs> <Damn it. laughs> I had a few of those. Uh-huh. Michael and Doug did that to me. They, oh. they just sat there for ages yeah. and ages and ages. And then Michael <laughs> went first and then Doug followed shortly afterwards.
1: Yeah. You're like really? You yeah. have to take I- I'm bored now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Kevin Kevin um he he definitely looked back and yeah. um and then shot off into the bush. Actually, in the Plus same vicinity as that road that we were just talking oh, about. No. Um, but I'm pretty sure that it was far enough away that he's in that area that you're talking about. That's going to be a housing development probably, in five years. Probably. Probably. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, Kevin. Um, and um, of course, then there was uh, Richie Cunningham who <laughs> um, scarred me for life um, oh, on release day. That's Cunningham's for you. Yeah, yeah. A Cunningham <laughs> skink. They um, have. They have some character. They. I was. Um, getting out of his enclosure to put him in the box to drive him to this amazing release spot that I had had found for him and he decided that he was going to take a chunk out of my middle knuckle on my right hand. That was his thank you. And that was his (laughs) thank you and I basically drove all the way to his release site which was back to within his 5K radius of um, just basically swearing at him and calling him an ungrateful (laughs) git for the last three months of care that he'd had. (laughs) Where I'd lovingly fed him every day and yep. given him all the yummy stuff that he liked, and then yep. he took a chunk out of my knuckle.
1: Got, yeah, that, hurt. that sounds about right. <laughs> Be grateful you don't do birds. Apparently, they're pretty bad that way.
0: Oh, I've only ever done one rescue for a bird, and I just remember when I eventually—it was a sulphur crested cockatoo. Oh my goodness, those beaks! Oh. And um, it didn't—it didn't get anywhere near me. I ended up throwing a doona over it, okay. a duvet over it, to, to get it in, to get it into the so I could. You know, say it was like trapped in a garage. Yeah. And I remember getting it to the care and saying, Don't ever ask me to do a bird ever again. Oh. I'd rather I'd rather be facing down a brown snake than a, a yeah. progressive cockatoo. Man, those beaks are crazy. <sighs> and the noise. Oh, they're so loud. He was just staring at me, flapping his wings. <laughs> Crest was up going, <laughs> Ah yep. Yeah, it was so loud. And the, the, the poor member of the public was kind of going, This is so scary. And I'm yes. like, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I'd rather it's scary have, for me too. <laughs> I'd rather have a brown snake hissing yeah. at me. <laughs> at least I know what they're going to do. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so wildlife care and wildlife rescue is 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 it's just a a whole thing of ups and downs. It is
1: absolutely. Yeah. There's there's some lovely moments and there's some really sad ones. You know, ones that you you think are going to make it and then you come in and they're stone cold dead and you went oh, when did that happen? Like, I thought you were going to make it. And then others where you just kind of go, oh, I don't know if that's going to come good. And then 18 months later, you're releasing this turtle that, Came in with its guts almost hanging out, and you're thinking, "Oh my goodness, I can't believe this!" So, there is some amazing ups and downs.
0: (laughs) So, in closing, would you like to share? Would you like to share that story because it's such a lovely, upbeat way to finish, rather than finishing on a (laughs) finish. Finish on an up. Finish on an up.
1: Finish on an up. So that one specifically that I was talking about, it was one of it was probably the first year that I had started looking at turtles and turtle shell repairs. and This, just, this
0: is an Eastern long neck? Yes, Eastern yeah.
1: long neck turtles. And when they're hit on the road, you, you have to make the decision. It's like, no, nah, it's, it's too far gone. We're just going to have it euthanized by the vet because they'll live through anything. Like seriously, they will have their guts hanging out, shells in cracked multiple pieces, and they'll still be walking away from you. Mm. And you're like, oh, my goodness, this thing's going to die about – three or four days from now Mm. and it's going to be a pain the whole time. Mm. So you have to make that decision. Well, I, I had this guy bring it to me. They were, um, they were actually traveling through, but I'd called the hotline and, and it was a Saturday. So they were coming my direction and said, well, we'll just drop it straight to you. And the guy's name was Gunther. And, him and his wife had picked it up off the highway and had brought it to me. And I looked at it and the first thing I went, oh, crap. I hope they didn't go too far out of their way to come to me because it does not look good. But then I kind of looked at it and I thought, well, it's not so displaced that it's an automatic euthanase, and the skin was still intact right underneath the shell, which is kind of my, my tick. If it's completely open cavity, you're looking at it going, ooh, no. But if there's, you know, that skin that has covered it, you're not going to get a massive infection inside. We're going to be doing antibiotics anyway, so if there is small infections, then that can come good. And I kind of looked at it, and all the pieces of the shell were still there. It had one major kind of on the side in the bridge break. I thought...
0: So, the bridge is the bit the between the top, between and, the the top shell. and the bottom
1: shell. Yeah. yeah. So, it had been flattened fairly good on one side, but everything else was fairly intact. So, it was my first gunner going, ooh, let's see how this goes. So, I ended up putting it back together. It had saddle clamps um, to make sure that the shell stayed in place, one on each side of this break. So, it was a fairly, fairly big. Mm. hardware to get this guy back together. Mm. But it seemed to work. Um, Everything was kind of where it should be. And I'm like, okay. So I did my normal repair and we gave it a bit of time. He ended up going to a carer after that and spent a whole year in care. And in the end, I was like, he's still alive. He's eating. He's doing everything he should. Um, His shell has repaired. The saddle clamps have come off. The actual piece that was, you know, shaky is actually – um rehealed mm. back into place and I can't see any reason why we wouldn't release him like you can see that he'd had a repair job you can see that his shell wasn't what it looked like to start with but he looked really good and I went great well let's let's release him so it was it was it was almost 18 months and we took some after photos and did the release and I was like wow It actually worked.
0: (laughs) Turtles are phenomenal.
1: And just knowing knowing that they can get through this and survive. And, you know, it makes it worth it. It really does make it worth it. And that's Mm. why I do it. Mm. So, and to show people that it it makes it worth it. So the worst thing I hate is coming across on the road and finding something that's smashed an, an animal and hasn't stopped and done anything and then still alive. Oh, I hate that. But there are so many lovely people because I do the the phone system sometimes and you do get some amazingly concerned people that are like, oh, I've I found this on the road and I don't know what to do. Can I take it somewhere? Can I do anything? They will drive an hour out of their way mm-hmm. to take it to the appropriate person. And I'm so grateful for the, those people. And the only way we're going to get more of those people is through education Mm. and that's where it comes back to what I do because I want the people that I'm teaching in primary school and in preschool and in childcare centers and when they're so little that they don't even know that they're learning, they're Mm. just having fun that day,
2: Mm.
1: but they're going to grow up and they're going to be that person that stops. Mm. They're going to be the person that joins the local wildlife group. They're going to be the person that is actually going to be making the difference in the future Mm. and that's what I strongly believe. Mm. Like, as a mother, I can teach my three kids. But as an educator, I can teach thousands of kids. And I love it. Mm. So, anyway, that's my two cents at least.
0: <laughs> so, thank you very much, Ali, for your time today. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Wild Secrets. For more information on Wild Talk, please visit wildtalk.org.au. You can find us on Facebook at Wild Talk caring for the carers thanks to nick mccroston my sound guru and producer and to kitsu uk for the tunes until next time bye bye for now